Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Kate Forsyth is the award-winning author of more than 20 books for both children and adults, which have been sold in more than 10 countries around the world, including Russia, Germany, Italy, Spain and Japan. Her first novel, Dragon Claw, was named one of the best first novels of 1998 by Locus magazine and was shortlisted for the Aurelius Award for Fantasy, as were most of the rest of her books in the best-selling The Witches of Ilianan series. Her latest book is The Gypsy Crown, an historical adventure story for nine to 12-year-olds, which follows the perilous adventures of two Romany children in the time of Oliver Cromwell. The Gypsy Crown was recently awarded in the prestigious 2007 Aurelius Award for Children's Fiction in Australia, where it is published as a six-book series, while Book 5, The Lightning Bolt, was named a notable book for 2007 by the Children's Book Council of Australia. She has also published three books for younger readers called Dragon Gold, Wishing for Trouble, and Sea Magic, a picture book, I Am, a book of poetry, Radiance, and a novel for young adults called The Starthorn Tree, which was also shortlisted for numerous awards. Kate, thanks for joining us today. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us, how did you get so interested in fantasy in the first place? Well, I was a big reader when I was a child, and all the books that I most loved had um, mysteries and magic and adventure in them. And um, I always wrote as a young child as well. And strangely enough, all, all the novels that I wrote were fantasies. Um, so when I was writing as an adult, um, I actually spent quite a few years writing a, a, a contemporary literary novel, yeah. which didn't get published, which was constantly rejected. And I was at university. I was doing my Masters of Arts, um, in writing, mm-hmm. and we were asked to read a whole lot of, um, you know, literary gritty type books, you know, very dark, very miserable, and as a reaction to that, I started reading fantasy again. I hadn't actually read fantasy since I was a child, and I just loved it, um, and my husband said to me one night, after I'd been up to three o'clock in the morning <laughs> reading this book, because I couldn't put it down, he said, well, you're enjoying it so much, why don't you write one? And it was like a little light bulb went off, and I went, okay, well why don't I? And that was my first book, Dragon Claw. And in actual fact, um, it was accepted straight away. It was sold all around the world. And um, I was launched off onto a new career just because that my husband said. (laughs) And what ever happened to that first novel, the one that you were working on and was constantly rejected? It it was actually my eighth published novel. Um, So after I finished the six books in the Witches of Ilianan series, I got it out and I had a look at it again and I saw why it had been rejected. Um, it had actually come close to publication a couple of times and then, it, you know, the editor left or the publishing house went broke. I'm actually really glad of that because I had learned so much in the process of writing the six books of The Witches of Ilianan mm. that I could, I could see what I had done wrong and I, I was able to completely rewrite the book, restructure it 
And then I sent it off. I actually gave it to you know, to my publisher who had um, had published Dragon Claw and those other books. And she loved it, and, and, and that was how it came to be published. But it's just ironic that I spent so much time on it in my 20s. I actually think I learnt the craft of writing by making all those mistakes. Mm. Although you learnt the craft of writing, was it difficult to keep the faith, so to speak, when you were getting rejected? Well... I very, very badly wanted to be a writer. It was all I'd ever wanted to be um, ever since I was very, very young. And um, I, I felt like I had a real vocation. Um, it was more than just um, ambition. It was a real vocation. I knew that was what I was meant to be. And so it was hard to keep the faith. There's no doubt about that. Um, any aspiring writer has to go through that process of um, trying and failing and learning from their failures. And I believe that's that's what I did. Um, and there were times when I would be very upset and I'd be there wiping the tears off my face. Mm. But then I thought, well, you know, giving up was just not an option. I, I just had to keep on going. Mm. So tell us about the charm bracelet, which inspired you to write the Chain of Charms books. Well, I haven't got time to tell you the whole beautiful <laughs> story about it. So uh-huh. I'll give you the short version. Sure. Um, when I was a little girl, my great aunt, my my mother's aunt, owned this very beautiful, very old and very valuable charm bracelet. It's a family heirloom. It's been passed down through the family, mother to daughter or, you know, um, aunt to niece mm-hmm. um, through six or seven generations of the family. And I used to, you know, lean against her knee and she would tell me all the stories behind the charms, which had been collected by many different women in my family mm-hmm. going back to, you know, the early 19th century. Mm-hmm. And I loved, I loved the sense that each of these charms had a story and, you know, connected me in some way with my, you know, my own history and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd always had this idea that perhaps I could write a story. I mean, the idea of a charm bracelet is, of course, an excellent um, organizing principle for you know for a fantasy book. If, you, mm-hmm. if you're going to go out on a quest for something and you know gradually you know find things that, that as they build together you know they you know, they gain in meaning and gain in power. And so I, I I always had this idea that I could do something with it. Um, and when I when I decided that I really wanted to write a series of books for both boys and girls, that um, it was filled with all the things that I most loved about books when I was their age. It just seemed like a good time to use that idea. Mm. Beautiful idea. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to write that book and, and it gave me immense pleasure, really, and it's made me feel very connected to my past again. <laughs> yeah, you wrote an article about Enid Blyton and it sounds like she inspired you to the, be the writer that you've become in a sense. Is that true at all? It's it's not quite true because mm. I always wanted to be a writer. Um, mm. I loved Ina Blyton as a child, but I loved other writers as well, um, many other writers. What was interesting about Ina Blyton um, for me is she was the first writer that I realised was a real person, and that was because she wrote an um, an autobiographical book called My Life which had pictures of her at her desk and her and you know working in the garden and her with her children and up until that point i hadn't actually realized that real people wrote the books that i really loved i just opened opened the book and you know plunged into it and loved the book but to read this this it was actually full of lies as we found out as adults (laughs) 
But to read this book about this real writer, and I, I just wanted her life. I understand, yes. Mm. And so, I mean, I, I still actually have that beautiful, it's a very, it actually belonged to my mother when she was a girl. It's a very old book, My Life. Um, and um, what I wanted to do with my books is to recreate that absolute sense of, you know, voluptuous abandonment into the story that I had as a child. Mm. And did the romantic notion of being that writer turn into reality for you? Was it what you expected? Well, when I've sold as many books as Anna Blyton has sold, <laughs> you know, she is still the top-selling author in the world, then I will be able to afford the grand house with the acres and acres and acres of garden beautifully manicured by a team of staff. But <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> I've got a not-so-beautifully um, manicured garden. <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, Anna Blyton is one of the most popular writers ever to have existed. And J.K. Rowling is coming close, but Inna Blyton has still outsold her. Mm-mm. And you've mentioned that, um, I mean, certain themes in their books, of course, that children want to read about magic and fantasy and secret caves and adventure and that sort of thing. Do you think these themes encourage kids to read more? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, all reading should be for pleasure. Uh, all reading should be um, you know, something that, that you do with a sense of anticipation and, and excitement. Um, to me, I, I, I very much want to write the sort of books that I loved when I was a child, not just my children's books, but my adult books as well. Um, I, I love to read. I read a great deal. And, um, you know, the books that I love most to read as an adult are those ones which completely draw you in and you can't stop reading. You, 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 you do actually sit up till 3 a.m. in the morning because mm. you're desperate to find out what happens. And then there's a certain grief when you get to the end of the book and you, you almost oh, yes. can't bear for it to be over. <laughs> yes. that's, that's the sort of book that I want to write. Mm. So tell me about the Witches of Ilianan series. How, where did you get that world from? How did you, where was the inspiration from? It's actually quite an interesting story. Um, the, the initial idea for the Witches of Ilianan came from a dream that I had when I was 16 years old. Really? Um, it, Yes, it was a very, very vivid dream, and I must admit that my dreams usually are. I, I have a very filmic imagination, so I tend to dream, you know, in a narrative form, in colour, you know, with panavision, you know, surround sound, the whole wow. lot. <laughs> and I often wake up um, in the morning with a very strong, vivid memory of, of my dream, and quite a few of my ideas do come from my dreams. So I actually wrote this dream down mm. in my in my diary at the time, and then I I ended up writing a short story or beginning to write a short story from the dream when I was sixteen, um, and it, I carried it round. I have an, a, an ideas folder or with you know scraps of writing. Um, it's been in my bottom drawer for an awfully long time. So when my husband said to me, "Why don't you write?" a fantasy book mm. well I immediately thought I, I, I mean it was at least 10 years after the dream but it had been such a vivid dream I had dreamt of, of a girl a foundling child who was you know brought up in, in a forest by a wise old witch I knew that they lived inside a tree um, you know because that way they would be safe because magic was outlawed it was dangerous to have the sort of powers that they had mm. and I, 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 I knew that that my my heroine, um, my founding child, was able to speak to animals. Now, this is an enduring fantasy of my own. Um, and I must admit, 
animals feature very strongly in all of my books. Mm. Perhaps it's because I grew up in a vet hospital, my father was a vet, and we always had so many different types of pets you would not believe. There's not an animal that I haven't had. Um, and I always wished that I could talk to them. So that was where the idea came from. And I, I, I began that book by describing my dream, which was still very vivid in my memory, even after 10 or 12 years. Mm. Um, books four and five in the series, quite interesting, happen exactly at the same time, but with separate characters. And one's following what Finn is doing, the other follows Isabeau. Why did you decide to write these two books this way? Well, originally it was all one book. And um, I, you know, what I tend to do in my books is I have um, different characters who are having various adventures in different parts of my world, and those adventures um, are connected to and uh, and affect what happens elsewhere in the world. Mm. It's one of my key things is to 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 show that people are connected, that that we are not islands, that our actions actually have consequences far beyond what any of us could ever imagine mm. because all human beings are connected in so many ways. And so originally these two books was one was one book that unfortunately um, you just cannot publish a book that is <laughs> that long. Mm. <laughs> um, it just falls apart. It's tremendously expensive to produce. And um, it also can be not such a pleasurable read. Books that are too long mm. um, are heavy to carry around. You can't fit it in your handbag and you um, can't sit up in, in bed or in the bath and comfortably read the book. Now, because I like to read in bed and I like to read in the bath and I like to carry books in my handbag, I'm very <laughs> aware of, of these problems. And so fairly, about halfway or three quarters of the way through the book, I realised that it was it was just going to be too long, and I talked it over with my editor then, and we actually decided to split it into two books. Mm. And so I just removed the subplot, every bit of the subplot which was which was Finn's story, and I set it aside, and then I wrote I finished the main part of the story, which was obviously Isabeau and Isolt's adventures, and then I went back to all that I had so cleanly excised from the original manuscript, and I turned it into a separate book. Great. And, I mean, we we talked about it at the publishers, and, and and my editor had actually read the earlier version of the manuscript, and she thought it would be such a shame to lose that that thin story. Mm. Um, and so even though that book is it's really a, a side step from the main story, we just thought that, you know, the readers would like to know what Finn was up to during those, sure. those months. <laughs> it's one of the painful things for writers, isn't it, to, be, to, ha- to have to discard stuff, but you were obviously able to discard but um, resurrect it in a certain way. I never really throw anything out because I can often use it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, ideas, scraps of ideas, sentences. Um, I'm a big believer that, that if you can't use it in one book, you might be able to use it in another book mm. um, or in another story. And, yes, it's part of the process of writing. The mistake that people make is that they think that what writers do is we sit down with a blank page, we start writing, and we keep on writing till we get to the end and we put a full stop, and, and that is, is your completed novel. <laughs> well, this is so absolutely untrue, and if people understood this, then they wouldn't be so daunted mm. by the idea of writing a novel. It's a process. Quite often... 
the chapter that, that you begin writing, that you first write, ends up halfway through the book. Mm. Sometimes you end up throwing it out altogether because you do your worst writing when you first start a novel. Sometimes it takes you a while to get into the swing of it. So I quite often just completely abandon my first chapter. Um, I might take little bits out of it and stick them in elsewhere. I mean, you, the cut and paste facility in computers has made writing much easier. Mm. <laughs> when you're writing a novel now, have you already got the next novel in your head or are you fully focused on the one that you're working on? Well, the, the answer is yes to both of those. I'm always fully focused on the book that I am writing now, but you must realise that I sell my books a couple of years in advance of me actually writing them. Mm. Um, quite often it's a two-book deal, a three-book deal or a four-book deal that I sign. I usually, I always have an idea of what I'm going to write. I usually have a synopsis. Um, and a plan. Um, it's, you know, whenever I come to write, you know, as soon as I finish one book, I know exactly what book I'm going to be writing next. And usually by the time I start writing it, I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. And so I've actually got quite a lot of notes and planning already done. Mm. Um, and also books overlap because um, when I finish the first draft, it's actually not the first draft, it would usually be about you know, my third to tenth draft. But sure. when I've got the manuscript as perfect as I can get it then, I send it off to my publishers all around the world and then I have to wait for them to come back to me with editorial guidance. Mm. And that might take three months. Now, I'm really not happy unless I'm, I'm working. So I normally start the next novel pretty much straight away. Sometimes I have a week off. I've just had a month off because I've had a, um, my kids from school holidays and I've had a lot of other things to to do. I've still been working but not actually started a new novel yet. Right. Um, but if I just sat around and twiddled my thumbs while I waited for my editors to get back, well, I'd just be wasting time. And also I would, I would get out of my routine and routine is terribly important to writers. So tell us about your routine. When you are writing, what's your typical day look like? Well, I build my routine around my children. So I write when they're at school or at preschool. My youngest is, is four years old, so she's at preschool three days a week and, and they're my working days. Mm -hmm. Basically, I take the kids to school. So I'm up, I do all the mum stuff, making lunches, making sure they've got their homework and their hat. Come home, make a cup of tea, turn my computer on, and I'm into work straight away. I don't have the... I can't indulge myself because my writing time is so tight. Mm. Um, usually I will look over what I wrote the day before. Usually I will already know exactly what I'm going to write that day because um, I get up at six and take the dogs for a walk and I plan my writing day while I'm, I'm walking and so by, by the time I sit down, I'm usually itching, I'm eager to get to it and I work pretty much steadily through um, a couple of days a week. I have a nanny that picks my children up and takes them to their various um, after-school activities. And those days I keep on working right through until 5.30 or 6.30. Um, you know, they're my key work days. It's all about discipline, isn't it? It is all about discipline. Discipline is in incredibly important. And when I'm teaching people um, how to write, I try and teach them the importance of having a routine. Mm. I, I don't think it matters. I think you're better off writing for two hours every single night when everyone else in the world is is watching bad American TV, <laughs> you turn on your computer and you and you write from eight thirty to ten thirty every single night. You are going to achieve a great deal more 
than every now and again um, turning on your computer and trying to remember what it is that you were doing. If you can just, and even an hour, if you can set your alarm for six and write for an hour before you have breakfast and, and get in, into the day, you, you are going to stay connected to your work and you are going to be producing steadily, which is, is the secret of, of being a professional writer, is that you are a, are a steady and efficient writer. And you're got you have many books, more than twenty mm. books, and you're there for children and adults. Yeah. Is there one um, age group that you find it easier to write for, or that, or that you prefer to write for? Um, I like to write for all age groups. Um, my 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 preferred age groups would be nine plus. Mm-hmm. So either uh, the the Gypsy Crown books, of which they were published as a series of six here in Australia, they're really nine to 12-year-olds, and the Staff on Tree is really probably 11-plus. That, I would say that's my favourite age group to write for. However, um, I also love writing for adults because you can do something a little bit darker, a little bit deeper, a little bit... You can make your surprises a little bit more shocking, mm-hmm. um, and you can write longer books and it is natural to me to write long books I find it I find the um the little books really quite um quite difficult to write I'm not a short story writer by any means it's not natural to me I have an epic imagination (laughs) (laughs) in Panavision as well (laughs) Um, your book full fathom five is about 20 year old Sarah who has not left her house in for five years how did this idea come about um, again, it's very hard to write to, to describe where ideas come from. I normally start with um, an image or with um, a vision or a dream. Um, and then I start wondering, who is this person? What are they doing? So with, um, with Full Fathom Five, it, it began with this idea of a grieving girl, a girl who was... Um, so frozen by her grief that that she found it hard to hard to live, mm. um, and and basically the story grew from there. It was I mean it took me twenty years to write that book, um, and there were many 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 different versions. It went through a version of being a fantasy novel. Mm. It, I mean really it's quite magic realist because it's got ghosts and it's got dreams and it's got strange things happening in it. Mm. But you know. Um, the character of Sarah, because she's agoraphobic, you know, she cannot actually go outside. She cannot leave her house. Um, it made her a very interesting, intense sort of character to write. Mm. Um, in a way, I, I can't explain where the idea came from. It, it just grew. I got interested in her. <laughs> mm, fair enough. You, what type of research did you do for the Witches of Ileana? There are elements of Wicca and folklore and Celtic themes. Mm. W- did you do a lot of research in that? Well, area? I always, I always do a lot of research because research is basically reading, and I love to read. And I, I, I have a real bowerbird um, brain, which means <laughs> that I love little odd bits of arcane facts. I have a very good memory, so anything I read, I remember. Um, And you could basically say with The Witches of Ileana, and I was trained all my life to write these books because my mother is an anthropologist. Mm. And um, so she was always giving me things like Margaret Mead to read as a child, you know, Carl Jung. Um, 
I did my degree, uh, my first degree, um, I majored in literature, but I basically did any subject that looked interesting to me. So I did a lot of anthropology, a lot of sociology, a lot of uh, things like French culture and, <laughs> and um, you know, fairy tales, children's literature, American literature, any subject which kind of appealed to me, I did. And it was a perfect sort of degree for me because um, I knew I wanted to be a writer and I, I knew that... Uh, being a good writer was all about, you know, reading and learning and and listening, mm. and um, that's what I did. Now, in the actual research for the book, quite often you are researching without realizing it. So you will read a book for interest, mm. sake, and then realize, oh, I can use that. Mm. Um, other times you research specifically. For example, um, in 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 the book of Finn's adventure where she actually goes climbing up a big cliff and, you know, to go and save a, a prophet. This is in book four, The Forbidden Land. Um, I have her climbing up a cliff and climbing up a tower. And I have a friend who rang me and said, Kate, I had no idea that you're into rock climbing. We should go rock climbing sometime. And I was saying, well, I've never been rock climbing in my life. But if I was going to... It wasn't sufficient for me to just write... Finn climbed the cliff. Mm. I had to know how she was going to do it. I had to be able to make it vivid and real. Mm. And to do that, I had to research rock climbing. So, I mean, that took me a week right. to write one scene. Gosh. But another scene would only take me five minutes because I, I already had, you know, knew everything I needed to know for that scene. Mm. Um, mm. I've spoken to some fantasy writers who don't want to be reading fantasy themselves while they're writing. Is that the case with you? or Do, do you read fantasy while you're writing? Oh, um, I love fantasy. I read a lot of it. I, it's not actually my favourite genre. Oh. Um, I read an awful lot of different types of books. I, I love historical fiction. I love murder mysteries. I love non-fiction. I love literary fiction. Mm. Um I read a lot of children's fiction, um, particularly children's fantasy. Um, so I'm not one of these readers that, that only reads the one genre. Mm. But um, I just basically read whatever I feel like reading. And so regardless, what I must admit, when I'm writing, I tend to only read things that are going to help me with my writing. So I will, that's when I do a lot of research, a lot of non-fiction reading. In the past month, since I delivered my last novel, I've been reading purely for pleasure and I've been reading on average about a book a day. Wow. Which which I can't obviously do when I'm writing at high intensity because I'm spending that time sure. at my computer not, not reading books. Um, when I start um, my next novel, which I'll probably do in the next couple of weeks, then I, w I will go back to not reading nearly so much. And for aspiring writers out there, what advice would you give them to help make the writing process easier for them? Well, I think the the first thing you need to have is patience <laughs> because it takes an awfully long time to write a book and to make it the best book you can write. Most people tend to think that once they've actually finished the book, that's that's all they have to do, but that's only the first draft. Mm. But that's, you know, the... The real work now starts. You need to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite constantly, and you need to be able to look at the structure of the book, and if that is actually working, you know, is it you know where does the pace lag? 
where do you have you done things too quickly and you, you aren't giving your reader a strong enough visual image of what's going on. Mm. You need to be constantly looking at your language. You'd be surprised. Um, most people have a very sh- shallow pool of vocabulary, of words that they use constantly all the time. And it's amazing. E- and even me, who is, is so used to this, I will find that I've used the same word three times in two pages. Mm. So you, you need to go through your book and make sure that, that you aren't using a very shallow uh, you know, language resource. You need to be searching for bigger and better and more beautiful ways of saying what you want to say. And then, and then I think you need to be really persistent. Um, a lot of people um, get bored and give it up yes. just, just when they're getting to the point where the book is actually going to be um, and you might be able to do something with it. Mm. So patience and persistence, I think, are the, are the secrets. And this is true of the publication process as well. Um, you know, trying to get published takes a very long time. And then when you do get accepted by a publisher, it takes them a year to ping the book out, which means that it might actually take you five years to get a book from the first word to a printed copy. You've got to be patient. Not for the faint-hearted. No, that's exactly right. And it's certainly, I mean, it's only, you, you have to have a strong, a strong desire, a strong drive. You, you need to know this is what you really have to do because you're going to have to make sacrifices. You'll be sacrificing your time. You'll be sacrificing your social life. <laughs> you'll, be, you know, you'll be sacrificing money because, you know, while you were writing this novel, you will not be doing other things that, that could perhaps, um, you know, give you a bigger income and you don't really know that it's ever going to lead, you know, lead anywhere. So you've got to have a certain amount of faith in yourself. But, you know, to me, the, the rewards are enormous. Mm. Um, obviously, if, you know, once you are a best-selling author, then you do get the financial um, rewards. But, you know, why, why does anyone write? You know, what is our, uh, you know, what feeds this um, desire to write? Mm. And it's, it's all about communication it's all about connection it's all about reaching out across the abyss and connecting with other human beings that you might never meet and and that's what books do and it gives me enormous pleasure to know that there are people all around the world reading my books in all different languages who and I've moved them to tears I've moved them to laughter I've made them think I've made them dream um I have for a short while I've drawn them into the world of my imagination and I've, I've trapped them there. Now, that's, that's an amazing thing. That's great. Very inspirational. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Kate. Oh, that is so much my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.